looking back, what I know now about how, how much fear influences and impacts my decision. That day or in that moment when I decided I was going to go down the path of unknown, it, it was a decision completely made without fear in terms of what's the worst that could happen. And I think in moments when I am held back or I make a decision because I'm afraid of outcomes or certain things that I, I'm, I'm not in control of, that's when things tend to go wrong. Whereas if I make decisions out of freedom or abundance and belief in the future, then it's actually much more liberating. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their Unlock Moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. I've been thinking a lot recently about the topic of finding balance, especially in the context of this volatile, uncertain world we're living in. You might remember my powerful conversation with the inspirational Vicky Sato in episode 115 of The Unlock Moment, where we talked about balance as a measure we should think about for success in career and in life. Often people tell me they can't find balance because they don't seem to be able to step off that hamster wheel. Well, today I'm delighted to welcome a guest to the podcast who's going to help us think differently about the power of a reset moment in the midst of an intense career trajectory. Ting Ting Peng is Chief Capital, Strategy and Impact Officer at Move, a successful leader in fintech, an angel investor and advisor to startups. She's a graduate of MIT with an MBA from London Business School. Ting Ting is a member of the Milken Institute's Young Leader Circle and has been recognized by Fintech magazine as a top 100 women in Fintech for 2023. But this stellar career path has not been without its bumps. And we'll be talking today about what that looked like and what Ting Ting learned from navigating the potholes on the road to success. Of course, ever curious, I'm fascinated to learn about the unlocked moments of remarkable clarity that helped her find that clarity on the journey. Ting Ting Peng, it's my very great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Thank you, Gary. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Now, beginnings are important. And where do we need to start in your journey to understand the person you are today? <laughs> so to understand the person that I am today, I think I, I will have to take you back 35 years, back to when I was four or five years old. Uh, I was born in China. And so at this point, I was still in China. And when I was four, four and a half, five years old, my parents decided that they needed to pursue greener pastures overseas. And um, they weren't secure and stable enough to bring me with them. 
So they left, traveled to Europe, and eventually settled here in London. I ended up spending the next five years of my childhood being raised by my grandparents. I think in that moment or during that period of time, there were a number of things that only in hindsight I had learned to realize or come to recognize. Decisions that I, I had unconsciously made about myself around whether or not my parents loved me, whether or not I was worthy, whether or not I was good enough which has shaped not only my relationship with my parents, which is fantastic today as I'm now a parent myself, but also has shaped the decisions around how I push myself and how I challenge myself to prove that I am good enough in different scenarios and situations. It's really fostered a very headstrong, obstinate, stubborn, but also hardworking character that I have, you know, and that's enabled me to, to navigate lots of different pivots in my career. And I think during that experience, and again, only in hindsight have I realized over the past couple of decades, learning about the sacrifices that my parents made, understanding the culture, the history, the background of my Chinese heritage and upbringing, but you know, eventually growing up in the US, bridging those gaps and bridging those differences in an increasingly global world has also contributed, I think, to a large extent, um, my ability to navigate a very international career. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, where my story really starts. That's fascinating. And tell me more about your childhood environment. Do you have brothers and sisters where you're an only child? And do you think of stories? Do you remember yourself as a, as a child and, and that sort of headstrong, stubborn personality? Was that always there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I have moments. I have like moments that are etched in my memory. Because I was raised by my grandparents, I think they were very loving, but they were not my parents. And so I had self-discipline. I did very well in school, even from an early age, but I was very adventurous. And I lived in Southern China where now it's, you know, a, a metropolis with highways and shopping malls. But back then there were farmlands and local mom and pop shops and unpaved roads. And so I roamed, I spent a lot of time outdoors and explored. I didn't have any siblings. I had a cousin who was one year older than me um, and he would get me into a lot of trouble. I hung out with a lot of boys. I was very much a tomboy growing up. And I think that is something that still comes through as a mother of two boys, where that adventurous nature, that curiosity <laughs> um, to explore is still with me today. And how old were you when you first came over to the U.S.? I was nine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And what was that integration like, you know, moving to a new country and you moving to a completely new culture? How, how was that for you? So this was in the early 90s where in China they, they hadn't really started teaching English in most of the primary or secondary schools. So I didn't speak a word of English. And I actually didn't want to move. I, I had my friends. I didn't want to leave them. But I knew it was important to be reunited with my parents. So... When I first landed, I was in a small suburb outside of Boston in a town called Waltham. The local school did not have an ESL program, so English is a second language program. And so my parents essentially arranged for a tutor for me at the school. But the first few months, I remember not understanding anything, but at the same time, not being too bothered by it. I kind of did what I wanted to do. And the teacher had to, to send home a few messages to my parents to, to try and create a bit more structure in my schedule. You know, I had to raise my hand to go to the bathroom and things like that. But it was almost like a switch. At some point, I just knew how to speak English and everything really changed. Yeah, I, I think because I was a natural uh, student, quite, um, quite academically focused, as soon as I kind of learned how to understand and speak the language, my 
my grades drastically improved and I, you know, was very much integrated at that point within the first year. I was talking recently with somebody I do some coaching work with from time to time, and she was saying that she thinks of herself as a tomboy when she was growing up. And now she's a very successful scientist. And there's this connection of the person that was always challenging and asking questions very young to a person who is still doing that now in their work environment. How do you see some of those traits that, that you had or you developed it in your upbringing? How did you see that coming through as you started to enter the working world? So I think there is the natural personality or character that I developed as a child, which, you know, very much curious, adventurous. I didn't like to follow rules. I like to do the exact opposite of what I was told through, you know, the discipline and the structure that my parents created for me when I moved to the U.S. And I think wanting to be the best at something, wanting to challenge um, the status quo, then propelled me to want to do the best in everything that I did, whether it was academics or athletics, even though I wasn't as, I guess I wasn't as, I didn't excel as much in sports as I did in, in school, but I still wanted to be the best. And so the, the natural instinct then kind of translated into setting very high expectations and very high standards for myself, which I still do today. You know, the, that's kind of the, the light side, which is always striving to deliver above and beyond expectations. But I guess the shadow side to that is perfection, the constant pursuit of perfection, which I think as I've gotten older and now with my own children is learning how to let go of that. And how do I uncondition myself or recondition myself to just accept um, and to also enjoy, enjoy where I am, enjoy the continued progress uh, and the continued improvement that I'm making in, in all aspects of my life. We don't have children, but we do have two dogs. And that's kind of like having children. And I definitely recognize that having dogs and I guess children means that it's a little bit more difficult to be perfect about things because, yeah, it's, it's just a bit of a reality check on what's important in life. So, so I think we connect on that very much. So this idea of an unlock moment, you know, something you think back on and you think, I remember exactly where I was when this happened. What comes up for you when you think about that? It's a really interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked it before, but the moment that was my unlock moment, I was in a yoga studio. <laughs> I remember that the, the exact location. I was working in finance and investment management, and I wasn't happy. So I think by all definitions of success externally, I was successful. I was in my mid-20s, probably 25, 24, 25 years old. I was living in Hong Kong, independent, but I wasn't fulfilled and I wasn't happy. I had taken some time out to enroll in a yoga teaching course. Uh, I was maybe about five weeks into the program and had a couple more weeks left. That day, I had a really interesting dilemma. This was in the middle of the financial crisis. I should also provide a bit of context that this is maybe towards the end of 2008 or beginning 2009. Lots of people were losing their jobs. I had taken a bit of a break and received a job offer to go back into the finance industry. And I was torn. They needed me to start. I hadn't finished my yoga teacher training. I didn't want to not finish something. And so I asked the universe that day, what should I do? <laughs> do I forego the opportunity of a path that I knew very well at that point? I knew exactly what it would look like working with some former colleagues. Or do I pursue the path of the unknown? And I asked the universe to give me a sign. <laughs> I think I might have even verbalized it. 
So I asked the universe to give me a sign. Now, what then happened was I'd been practicing a tripod headstand. So for those, you know, for, I don't know if you do yoga, but it's, um, uh, I've been working on it for a little while and I had never managed to go upside down in my headstand. And I uh, asked the universe, what should I do? Give me a sign. And that day I, I managed to do my first freestanding headstand. And I <laughs> took that as the sign, which is let go of what you know, let go of the path that you know doesn't make you fulfilled and step into the unknown. In that moment, I decided that I would rather create my own happiness or have the potential of creating my own happiness from a complete blank canvas rather than go down the path that I knew would not make me happy. So yeah, that was my, <laughs> that was my unlock moment. It's so interesting. And, and at just 25, quite early in your career journey, that you could have that presence of mind to say, I can do something completely different if I choose to. Where does that ask the universe come from for you? So it was really some of the learnings through my yoga and spiritual journey. Uh, yoga was the one thing, you know, coming back to your introduction, it was the one thing that kept me sane during my frenetic career in financial services. Whenever I needed to find balance, I would go to my yoga mat. And so when I was going through the yoga teacher training, uh, there were some books I, I was reading, learning about yoga philosophy. And I can't remember which teacher taught me this, but it was the idea that um, whether or not you're, you, know, you believe in a higher being or what your religious leanings are, if you believe in a higher being, the concept of the universe, if you really, really want something and you put it into the universe, then the universe will conspire to help you achieve it. So some people might consider this setting an intention, having a focus. Others may, you know, depending on, on what their beliefs are. But yeah, that, that was kind of the concept. And along my spirituality journey, I, that was the first instance where I actually verbalized it. I didn't grow up in a religious household. My parents were both agnostic. So yeah, it was, a, it was an experiment. I, I just did not know what to do. I was young. I, I didn't know whether I, I should have gone down or, you know, at the time, do I go down the path that I think everyone expected me to, or do I do something completely different? So it was just trying something different, throwing it all out the window and just seeing what, what could come back. Really interesting. And I find this conversation very interesting with people who have done very well at school, had that kind of journey that you described. And I find it fascinating to understand what it feels like the first time that you get to a place where you're challenged or the first time that you fail or the first time that you say, I'm not sure this makes me happy. For some people, that happens very early on because they're in a place where life is always challenging. But for other people, it might be early in their 20s or maybe sometimes in mid-career. And I kind of find that the later that happens, the later you first face into I'm not sure this thing that I've been aiming for as my focus, I'm not sure it's all it's cracked up to be. The later that is, the harder it is to manage your way through that process. So did you find there was a point on your journey when you suddenly went, this thing I've been aiming for, I'm not sure it's making me happy? Yeah, I think the reason why I realized or I had this moment relatively early in my career was because I didn't really have a five-year plan or 10-year plan coming out of university. I think even though I did well academically, I did struggle to kind of figure out what was it that I really wanted to do and how did I really want to contribute to society. And so I did what I think most people coming out of MIT would do. You either go into engineering and work at Google or Microsoft, 
or you go work on Wall Street <laughs> in finance. And so I kind of followed the herd a bit at that point. But I think because I didn't have an attachment to a specific end goal or an outcome, I think it was, you know, maybe the company, right? Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, the pinnacle of financial services or, or having that, uh, that job title. But I didn't have an end goal in mind. I was, I was still exploring. And so because of that, I think I was free from at least self-imposed expectations of what I needed to do. It was, I've, I've already gotten these accolades. Let me just try something else. And worse comes to worse, I can always go back. Uh, that was also my thinking. I was still young. I can always go back. If I take a few months off, it should be okay. And I hear that word freedom. I think that's a really powerful word in what you say. The unlock moment is often a moment of knowing a thing you didn't know before. So how would you articulate what it was that you knew walking out of that yoga studio on that day that you didn't know or you didn't know so clearly before? Hmm. I think it was the realization that, and this is only in hindsight as well, I think looking back, what I know now about how, how much fear influences and impacts uh, or has impacted and influenced my decision that day or in that moment when I decided I was going to go down the path of unknown, it, it was a decision completely made without fear in terms of what's the worst that could happen. Mm-hmm. And I think in moments when I am held back or I make a decision because I'm afraid of outcomes or certain things that I, I'm, I'm not in control of, that's when things tend to go wrong. Whereas if I make decisions out of freedom or abundance and belief in the future, then it's actually much more liberating. And so it's this feeling of, and and actually it does feel different in my body, right? There's expansion when I make decisions or when I think about situations and, and things with this idea of abundance and generosity and freedom. Whereas if I'm thinking it through a more limited lens and I'm held back by my own you know, beliefs and, and fears, then it feels completely different. There's a huge number of people, I think, who, who live their life controlled by fear, actually. And often I find that they feel alone in that. They feel as though other people are not living their life like that. And my perspective is, well, I've talked to quite a lot of you, and yeah, it's actually quite common. So for you, when you use the word fear, in in what context are you using it? What does that mean for you? For me, it means thinking about things like, what will other people think of me? You know, what if I fail? (laughs) What if this doesn't turn out the way I want or the way that I expect? But also it may, you know, it may also reflect excuse, right? Excuse for myself to have to absolve myself of making a decision. And so, yeah, I think fear for me is the, those thoughts that creep up that, that really hold me back based on usually external expectations or past experiences. Yeah. And for you, where do those expectations come from? I mean, if we, if we go back to how the conversation started about, you know, where my story starts, I think it, it does go back to my four-year-old self where... At that point in time, I think I made a decision about myself that because I wasn't good enough, therefore my parents left me in China. That's absolutely not the case at all. 
but I think it was an unconscious decision that I made as a four-year-old. And so then it was a lifetime and it's a continued journey. I'm, I'm much more mindful of it now, less so much about, you know, parental approvals, but it's approvals of, of all those that are external to me, right? My colleagues, my, my superiors, my friends, my husband, my kids, but I'm a lot more mindful of that now in terms of reminding myself that actually these are all self-created and self-imposed. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful. We talked a little bit before the conversation about the conversation I had with Pari Radia. She describes her unlock moments at the age of 30 in a very vivid experience, actually. But she said, I realized that I was making myself scared, that it came mm-hmm. from me. And she said, as soon as I knew that, I also knew I could let it go. And that was a moment when her life completely transformed. So for you, in that moment when you let go of that fear, what enabled you to let it go? It was the recognition or the realization that I'm actually a lot more prepared, a lot more powerful than I give myself credit for. And it's not just me, it's the, the people that I have in my life that gives me that power and that confidence and that belief in myself. I think I just didn't give myself enough credit for that. So in that moment and, and in similar moments since then, I think it's the, just the deep knowing that I'm enough. I can do this. I have people who love me. I have people who support me. I have people who believe in me. And I can take it step by step and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, that, that is really the core is having that fundamental belief and then remembering that in those moments. And what's so interesting for me here is that you didn't go on to pursue a career as a yoga teacher. You went and built this career that I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you've done since that time. But I guess that the way you've approached your career since then is different because of that moment of, of clarity in the yoga studio. So. Tell me a little bit about what happened next and how what you knew then has informed or shaped the journey that you've been on. Yeah, so I went headfirst into yoga teaching after graduating from that program. And I did think that there was something in that path. But at the same time, the realities of living, I was in Hong Kong at the time, the realities of living in Hong Kong meant that I needed to manage my own finances to be able to, to, to kind of continue living in Hong Kong. So that early st- the, the early stages of that journey was uh, really embracing my creativity and my entrepreneurial side. I needed to build a business for myself so I could start generating income. I'd had no one, you know, no company to rely on. Um, and I did a lot of grassroots things across, you know, I was, you know, designing, printing my own flyers to trying to think of how to design my next yoga workshop, how to structure collaborations to build my brand. And that entrepreneurial fire, I think definitely still exists today. I'm at a startup now. So it's, it's really being able to flex all the different muscles that I have across a variety of skill sets and experiences I've gained since then. In terms of my career path, I mean, I've done lots of different things since then. I worked in real estate. Actually, um, I spent quite a bit of time developing sustainable real estate in Asia. Then I moved into executive education, again, in pursuit of purpose. So How can I contribute to conversations between social enterprise and government and multinationals? Then I went back into the investment management industry, if you can believe it, 
uh, where I really wanted to be a force for introducing, connecting the world of wellness and well-being and mindfulness to the corporate world that desperately needed it and still does. And of course, today I'm, I'm at a startup. So I think looking back, all the dots connect. At the time, how I was making my decisions for every pivot or every new opportunity that I was able to, to find was really around this idea of if I knew I couldn't fail, if I had no fear, what would I do? And I would explore what is that thing or that opportunity that would make me the most uncomfortable, that would make me question whether or not I can actually succeed. And that would be the path I would take. And so, yeah, at the time, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, how did you make those decisions? How did you pivot? I just said, I was constantly scanning the horizon, looking for things that would align with my values around contributing positive impact and finding purpose, but at the same time, enabled me to pursue a path of growth and continued improvement through doing things I've never done, which obviously scared me uh, every single time. But I've learned also over the years that I really thrive in those environments and under those circumstances. And I'll continue to do that, I think, <laughs> for as long as I'll, I'll be working. It's really interesting. I interviewed very recently an Olympic gold medalist called Joe Jacoby, who won gold medal in 1992 in whitewater canoe slalom, Barcelona Olympics. And he said, and he's now in leadership development, and he said that the greatest opportunity on the whitewater course is where the water runs fastest. And where the water runs fastest is around the sides of the rocks in the middle of the course. So he said, actually, if you want to maximize your opportunity, you have to aim for the rocks and face into the obstacles. And that aligns really nicely with what you're saying there about, you know, what scares me and that's what I want to go do more of. When I'm working with people and they feel out of control and overwhelmed, often they describe kind of running on the hamster wheel and not really being able to stop. And then I say to them, how does the hamster stop? When it's running on the hamster wheel, the answer is it just stops running. <laughs> just stopped running. And that can be a little breakthrough moment for people. For you, are there moments, have there been moments in your life or career since that time where you felt, you know, I'm losing connection with that groundedness that I found in the yoga studio? And if so, what helps you to notice that? And what do you do about it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think this is definitely a journey. It's not an end state. Um, I think one should never be complacent. I'm, I'm, I, I know that for a fact is that it, it comes and goes as um, your life progresses. I have kids now. So, you know, when I first had my children and adjusting to life with one and then two kids as a family of four, there are always moments when I feel completely out of control that I, I can't possibly handle everything that, that I need to do or everything that I need to be to everyone. But I think what yoga has taught me is the power of stillness, power of breath, so it's, you know, even if it's finding a few, a few minutes, a few moments on the tube just to close my eyes and take a few deep breaths, or if I'm on a Zoom call, turning off my camera, muting myself and just taking a few deep breaths. And then, of course, when, when I have the time and the space to, to, to go back to the physical practice, that's what keeps me grounded. And I think my, my personal motto is every year, I like to spend some time to focus on developing myself to, to reconnect to that groundedness and what it is that, that I really want to do uh, in life. And so sometimes this means it's, you know, taking a course that's more functional or business oriented. 
Or in other cases, like my plan for next year is, is actually to take a mindfulness course so that I'm continuously learning and continuously also meeting people and being in dialogue to have that sense of connection to community. But these are some of the things I, I try and do either on a daily basis or on an ongoing basis that helps me to find balance and reconnect. And what I really like in that is that idea that I think it's sometimes people see other people who are in balance and they think, oh, they're there all the time and I'm never there. But what you're saying is you're not there all the time. You just know where to find it when you need to find it. And you can find the shortest moment. I love the idea of just turning off the camera on your Zoom for a moment and taking some deep breaths. And it just helps you recenter and, and reconnect. So it isn't that you have to be perfect all the time. It isn't this sort of aspiration for perfection that in the end you never achieve. It's finding those moments to reconnect along, along the way. For people who are listening to this and are leaders in work or in life, what would you like them to take away from the conversation with you and from hearing your perspective? I think if people can take away this idea or the notion that it's never too late, never too late to start, uh, it's never too late to adopt a new practice, it's never too late to let go. And along the same lines, there's no perfect time. The time is now. You know, the example of the hamster wheel, it's, ex it's exactly that point, right? You can decide today, right now, I'm going to stop running, stop chasing and get off the hamster wheel. And it's never too late for that. And it, I think it, it's also a commitment. It's both a commitment, but also giving yourself permission to continue deciding that for yourself. So you can try today. Maybe it doesn't work. Try again tomorrow. And that's okay. <laughs> and in the high intensity world of a startup, what does this do for resilience? <sighs> it builds it. Um, I think it is, it definitely hones resilience it, and it, and it creates space. Um, it creates space for allowing mistakes, accepting your failures, accepting yourself as you show up every day. And, and, and I think again, this whole concept of resilience and, and bouncing back stronger, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the right words uh, the way that I think about resilience is, is also that it's constantly adapting to the environment that you're in and it's fluid. So I think, yeah, I mean, in short, I think it definitely, it definitely builds, definitely builds resilience that we need in individuals and also in organizations and hopefully creates a space for that to really show up when required, you know, in tough situations in the business context. Fantastic. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? So I'm on LinkedIn, Ting Ting Pang. And the company, the startup that I'm, I'm currently focused on building is called Move, M-O-O-V-E. We're a global African fintech, so you can find us on move.io. And yeah, I think I, I do post uh, quite a bit about our mission at Move on LinkedIn and the things that we're working on to promote sustainability and financial inclusion in both emerging markets and developed markets. So that would be the best place to connect. Fantastic. And tell us a little bit about what Move is doing. So Move was started in Africa as a company that's focused on democratizing access to credit and financial services for gig workers that work in the mobility space. So, so think of it as 
providing access to financing for Uber drivers and other drivers that operate on ride-hailing platforms. And the impact goals are around enabling access to affordable credit. So what started in emerging markets, I think we found also exists in developed markets that we are redefining what good looks like because many of these gig workers, they're not formally employed. They don't have credit scores. They're essentially credit invisible. And how can we at Move enable them to and welcome them into the financial ecosystem by rethinking what good looks like? So tapping into different data sets, rethinking how our underwriting works and how we do that in the context of partnerships that we have across the mobility ecosystem. Fantastic. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For fintech star Ting Ting Peng, it was developing her yoga practice and mindset that helped her to reset, let go of fear, and find a new balance and resilience that she returns to when she needs to find that stability and certainty. Ting Ting, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Unlock Moment. Thank you so much, Gary. If you've enjoyed hearing Ting Ting's take on facing into the challenges, then bookmark episode 112 with Olympic gold medalist kayaker Joe Jacoby, Aim for the Rocks, who I mentioned in this conversation. And if you're interested to work on mindfulness and keeping perspective when all around you feels chaotic, then find episode 104 with legendary NBA basketball coach George Mumford, who was the mindset coach to stars such as Michael Jordan and the late Kobe Bryant. Bookmark those episodes for your next listen. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.